Now, prepare your ear holes as we bring you another great podcast from the Poop Culture Extended Universe. Warning, the following program features content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Bo Cephas Broadcast. Greetings, boys and girls, and welcome to episode 58 of the Bo Cephas Broadcast. Glad to be back in the basement with you for another week of shenanigans across the World Wide Web and a beautiful Sunday we have here in West Central Illinois. Sunshine, a high today of 66 degrees. It is finally here, the weather that I have been waiting for for what seems like forever. Uh, the weather this weekend has been just phenomenal, and with any luck, we're on our way to uh, consistency. Actually got some stuff done outside yesterday. It was magnificent. We had some brunch, like the uh, geriatric couple that we are, and then we went to Home Depot, bought some light bulbs, changed those mofos out, and I even uh, I even sucked out the exhaust fan in the bathroom. That's how productive I was yesterday. So it's only up from here or down, depending on uh, how lazy I feel today after I get this podcast all squared away and released into the world. But yeah, like I said, hopefully we're on our way to uh, consistency with warmer weather and stuff like that and get rid of the, the whole seasonal affective disorder that plagues me for about four months out of every year you just you know the weather sucks and then your your emotional state sucks as a result it's just it's a bummer it's a drag all around man i was a bit spoiled i mentioned uh well maybe i didn't mention i don't know but i i was spoiled for about 10 days because for work i went out to las vegas where it was like 85 and sunshine for the entire 10 days that i was there now it was there for uh the national association of broadcasters convention so this new job that i started in february has put me in the role of a marketing coordinator for a a company that makes radio transmitters and now very shortly uh, television transmitters. So we were a, a, a featured exhibitor, well maybe not featured, but we were one of seventeen hundred exhibitors at the 2018 National Association of Broadcasters Convention at the Las Vegas Convention Center, which is uh, essentially the size of like two city blocks in Quincy, maybe more. I don't know. This place was massive. But this was actually, this is my first time in Las Vegas, and I didn't really know what to expect. And honestly, it's not as, I mean, it, it, it didn't really, I don't want to say it didn't live up to the hype, but it wasn't what I was expecting compared to what I've seen on television and the movies and everything like that. We drove by the Pawn Stars place a few times. Not at all what I expected. Actually looks really like dingy and, and small. And I didn't see Chumley or, or Thanos or anybody hanging around the store that day. You know, I got to thinking, though, those guys must have, like, the easiest job in the world because a lot of people that have been there have told me that Rick and the other dudes that are part of that show aren't there other than, you know, really when they're recording. So they essentially, I mean, they own this place, obviously, so they paid their dues, more or less. But as far as the show is concerned, they show up, you know, they, they uh, do a few scenes or whatever they film a few scenes and then they pretty much collect the paycheck and go home the ultimate job but yeah that place was uh, it wasn't what i was expecting i didn't go in or anything but we drove by a few times on the way down to uh, fremont street which that fremont street was was probably my favorite part and i spent a few nights on the strip there's something about fremont street i think maybe because it's a little more self-contained it's all walking there's no uh, real traffic like vehicular traffic that goes on through that part it was a cool experience, but man, 10 days is a long time to be away from home and uh, a long time to be in a place that's just, you know, consistently nonstop. They're always going. But yeah, definitely spoiled by the weather. 85 degrees, pretty much sunshine. I was wearing shorts. I had to actually, I had to dig my shorts out of, uh, you know, like clothing storage boxes that were shoved under the bed for who knows how long. It feels it feels like winter lasted like four years. So I actually had to get my shorts out. Luckily, they still fit after the winter weight and everything like that. But yeah, coming back around to the original point, I think uh, warmer weather is finally here to stay on a consistent basis. That's me knocking on the uh, wood of the desk there. Vegas overall, I was pretty impressed with myself. I spent under $300 in my 10 days out there, which I think is probably a feat unto itself. I dropped about 30 bucks on Wheel of Fortune slots and a few games of Kino. Obviously, I didn't quit while I was ahead or else I would have made, you know, 20, 30 bucks. So I would have made my money back that I, I set aside for specifically for gambling for this trip. 
But I think the highlight was, you know, I, I could have stayed cooped up in a hotel for 10 days and really not left the room outside of going to the, uh, you know, working the convention or uh, doing things related to the convention. I was putting in some long days because of it. So it would have been very easy for me to stay in the hotel room and be, you know, humbug about everything. Uh, thankfully, it was like the week that a bunch of my friends decided that they were going to come out to Las Vegas. So Brandon Alexander, who is a, a guy that's been a friend of mine for for years, we played in our first band together. Brandon played bass, uh, and I sang and and tried to play guitar at the time. Uh, but Brandon and I have been friends for a very long time. He was actually out there for a bachelor party. So Saturday night, he walked from the strip to my hotel, which was uh, not many blocks. But I've been told, and I learned from being out there that uh, a few blocks is actually like half an hour walking distance. So he walks from the strip to my hotel, which was at least 30 minutes away by that kind of distance gauging, whatever you want to call it. So we get to the hotel, we go down to the hotel bar, we have a few drinks and everything like that. And then we decide that we're going to go to the strip. And I haven't been to the strip as of this point. Yeah, we've driven down the strip a couple days before, you know, prior to getting there. But we're, you know, we're going to go out Saturday night. We're going to walk the strip. And we end up as part of a bachelor party that uh, Brandon was actually there for. So that was fun. And then uh, world-renowned bass player. It was uh, it was evidently hang out with my bass player friend's time in Vegas. Scotty Vaughn, Scotty V of the uh, the famous Staggered Band. He was out uh, for a couple nights on the town. He got there Tuesday. We went out Tuesday night, had too many beers at PBR. And I got I to gotta say thank you to both Brandon and Scotty who, who got me Uber rides back to the hotel because A, I had overdone my data. My data was blown out of the water from going back to the hospital uh, to get you know cleared of my medical brace or whatever you want to call it. So my data was shot by the time that I got to Vegas, and my reception out there was just complete garbage. So thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Scotty V, uh, for the Uber rides back to the hotel, because otherwise I'm not entirely sure how I would have gotten from the strip back to the hotel without those guys. But uh, big thanks to them, not only for the Uber rides, but for for getting me out of the hotel room. Because like I said, it would have been very easy after working long days to just go back to the hotel and 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 pretty much hole myself up the entire time I was there. So it was nice to get out and, and experience Vegas with friends. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have experienced it much at all. So now one of the biggest downsides of being in Vegas for 10 days, uh, you know, isn't that I was there for work. It was because I had to miss WrestleMania which was on April 8th, and that was about the uh, fourth or fifth day that I was there. So I had to miss WrestleMania. It was a huge upset for me, because anybody that knows me knows that I am an uncloseted wrestling fan. 29 years old, love professional wrestling. I've learned to embrace it. I've learned to love it. So missing WrestleMania, which is, you know, like my Super Bowl, that was a huge upset for me. I tried to catch the late show on the network. I fell asleep. You know, because WrestleMania itself is like, I think it was like six hours long, seven hours long this year. So the late show would have started about 1030, right? So by the time midnight rolls around, I'm not even to the meat of the card. And I just had to, I had to pass out. But I stayed away from, you know, spoilers and, and tweets and things like that during the thing. So, but yeah, I fell asleep during the, the initial first few matches of WrestleMania. So thankfully there's Bleacher Report. There's Sirius XM, uh, the Rush Channel, which has busted open with Dave LaGreca, which I have become a huge fan of. Um, you know, I, I woke up the next morning. I was like, screw it. I don't want to I don't want to finish the show because I don't like watching it, you know, after it's been live. I, I don't know. I just I knew I wasn't going to have time to go back and rewatch it. So Bleacher Report busted open. They, they caught me up to speed. But yeah, that was that was uh, one of the most frustrating parts for me. That's weird. I hate to admit it, but it, it was the one of the most frustrating parts for me, who traditionally, you know, makes WrestleMania a, a big event in my household. So I had to miss it this year. I didn't have anybody to watch it with either, which was also boring. So that was a bummer of being in Vegas for 10 days. Now, next year's convention also is going to fall on WrestleMania weekend. And I think I have I'll have some more control over the planning on our end. So my intention is to schedule our things because we had a, a dinner, like a corporate dinner, a business dinner during WrestleMania that Sunday. So my intent is next year, if I can, to schedule around WrestleMania so I don't have to miss it. And maybe that means moving the uh, the dinner as a, as a lunch or moving it a day before so I can you know plan around. I don't have to miss Mania next year. That's the goal. I don't know. There's just something I, I prefer about watching wrestling happen live. It's not the same when you have to go back and rewatch it. 
I will go back. I, overall, I will go back to Las Vegas, not for work. I will go back for pleasure as, as like a vacation or something like that, because I want to experience it as a tourist, not necessarily somebody who's there 90 percent for work, because I think by the time the end of the week, you know, the first week that I was out there uh, rolled around, I think I was already burnt out on it and I hadn't really experienced any of it. So it's in the cards. I will go back to Las Vegas as strictly a tourist at some point. Speaking of tourism, today we are going to tour through the musical catalog of Patrick Sweeney. What a dude. What an absolute delight it was to talk to this guy. And we probably uh, we probably could have gone on for another hour. But I really, um, when the whole backbreaking thing happened, um, you know, I was a fan of Patrick, but I hadn't really jumped deep into his musical catalog. So when I was down and out, I was, you know, looking for stuff that would kind of boost my mood since I was pretty much bedridden for a while. It was between the bed and a and a old wooden uh, kitchen chair, so I wasn't really able to you know kind of do much other than sit or lay down. So luckily, I've you know I've got Spotify on my phone. I pull up Patrick's uh, Patrick's page, and I just kind of start and let it roll. And uh, this was a blast just to listen through all of the stuff that he's done. I also found out during this conversation he's a wrestling fan. So. That was awesome. Unfortunately, I had to miss Patrick's show. He played in St. Louis uh, on March 30th, and and that was when Man Country was going to bring in Jimmy Hart. We didn't get Jimmy Hart, unfortunately, because Jimmy had to be um, out for WrestleMania, actually. So we didn't get Jimmy, but we did get to spend the evening with the genius, Leapin' Lanny Poffo. But we'll get to that at, at, at some other point. But uh, yeah, genius was, was super cool. And I got to wear the Macho Man's Hall of Fame ring. Macho Man, of course, is Lanny Poffo's brother. So that was that was amazing. That is a story for another time. But it was cool to talk to Patrick and discover that he's also a wrestling fan. So I'm sure that he understands my uh, my dismay of missing WrestleMania this year as well. Either way, great music from a great guy. Great conversation. I'm very grateful to have had him on. Uh, he was my first guest back since since breaking my back, actually. And he definitely put some pep into my, my crippled old step when I talked to him. He gave me... Uh, by agreeing to do this interview, he gave me something to look forward to. Uh, so Patrick Sweeney, thank you so much for giving me that motivation to, uh, get the old podcast rolling again. He got me excited about it. His new album, Ancient Noise is going to be out May 11th. If you like what you hear today, please be sure to check it out and stick around in just a second. My interview with Patrick Sweeney on episode 58 of the Bo Cephas broadcast. The Bo Cephas broadcast. broadcast. Come see about me in the dark when it starts It's a tough schedule to keep Cause parts of it all Surely deprived in a sleep Grilling season will be here before you know it. This year, choose Kingsford Charcoal Briquettes for unmatched quality and impeccable flavor that'll have the whole neighborhood talking and flocking. Here's what Kingsford users are saying about Kingsford Charcoal Briquettes' Easy Light Bag. Worked great after Hurricane Irma knocked out power. It's convenient, but not my favorite option. Save your money. Well, it worked okay, but it wasn't clear from the instructions how to open the flap properly. Grilling season kicks off with Kingsford. We now return to the Bo Cephas broadcast. It's a funny thing. All this time. My guest today has uh, pretty much provided the soundtrack to my life over the last couple of months. He's an incredible singer, songwriter, musician. He's worked with the likes of Dan Auerbach of the uh, Black Keys, Sonny Landreth, who of course is, is a legend, the Gourds, and many more. It's a great, great pleasure to welcome on a snowy Sunday morning, Mr. Patrick Sweeney. Pleasure to have you here, sir. Hey, Bo. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here as well. <laughs> I mentioned that, uh, well, I, I knew, first of all, I knew you were my type of guy. I texted you about 30 minutes before this was going down, just to give you a reminder. You said you were making coffee. I thought, all right, this guy's, he's right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's nothing like a little fast talk and motivation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I mentioned, of course, that you've, you've provided the soundtrack to my life lately. And I just want to say, first off, uh, thank you for the music. You've uh, you've popped up all over my listening outlets for like the last six months, and and uh, it was kind of starting to become a sign. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. So great to be finally speaking with you. You're going to be celebrating the 20th anniversary of your first record, I believe, which is called "I Want to Tell You" next year. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's crazy. 
I it went it went by really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, yeah. I mean, I just you know, I was honestly, I just the, the whole the whole thing. I mean, like we're about to come out with an, my eighth record, yeah, my eighth full length here, you know, and just over a month. It's just crazy. But man, I really really appreciate you taking a chance and and listening. You know, not not exactly a household name, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, it always, it's always fascinating when people find you, like you know, the, through this, you know, you know, the, our, through our robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I just I have a, a, a very big appreciation for just just good raw talent, and and I want to tell you is is a great introduction to you as far as that talent is concerned. That record is largely just you and an acoustic guitar. And it's a showcase of you as both a player and a vocalist. Uh, and I wanted to ask, you know, why blues? What got you interested in that style? And I know uh, y- your father was a finger picker, and that's kind of how you picked it up. But but who were your interests? Who were your influences? How did you uh, kind of pick up on blues? What what steered you in that direction? Well, I mean, initially from Dad's Pete Seeger records, when and then Pete would cover. Uh, lead belly records which you know some of our some of those things weren't exactly blues but they were on the way so then that mm-hmm. you know then dad you know he, he loved 12 string guitar and owned 12 string guitars and, and you know so still does and uh uh so he you know i started listening to that i'm like man this is crazy so i didn't quite get it and it was scratchy according so i dug more into guys like uh you know uh, my dad had a records by a guy named dave van ronk who was uh, uh, big in the, the folk scene uh, in, in Washington Square uh, in uh, in New York City, and uh, he played a lot of like fingerstyle blues and things like that, and was then in ragtime and jazz and things. So that sort of opened it up. Then through the Jim Queskin Jug Band, which is also you know Jug Band music and things like that, same era. I found Lightning Hopkins just from reading the backs of albums. And maybe it was from the back of another side of Bob Dylan. And, uh, he talked about Lightning Hopkins and Big Joe Williams. And I heard Lightning Hopkins and that was pretty much just over for me. I'm like, this is saw this picture of him on a record. I'm like, Oh my, this is far cooler than anything I've, I've ever <laughs> encountered before. You know, just, I mean, look at him, look how cool he looks. And then you hear him and you know, he sounds, a hundred times cooler than that. And, uh, and it, the fact that it was one guy, you know, I really admired the sort of, uh, the, you know, the, the solo troubadour kind of thing, player and singer being able to entertain. And, uh, so that's really what I went for, uh, you know, as a kid. And then, then you find people like Mississippi, John Hurt and, uh, you know, John Hammond, uh, you know, uh, uh was, was definitely a big, big part of uh, right at that, that point his album the country blues like we're just you know he was this cool looking white guy in an awesome jean jacket you know uh on and uh on this record cover and i'm you know i'm 14 i'm just like whoa okay here's you know at least somebody <laughs> that you know sort of looks like me you know and that i could that maybe it makes it maybe it's possible that i can do this and that and, and really that was that you know and i just sort of voraciously started eating it all up and then then later absorbing the electric guys like you know elmore james and muddy waters and realizing you know all the while going into uh you know the robert johnson's and the sun houses and 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 that and uh robert jr lockwood uh was living he's he's the only really the only guy that learned like you know toe-to-toe learned from robert johnson how to play and he lived in cleveland and uh i mean he had an amazing career you know he was the chess session guitarist he's on all the good sunny boy williamson records he's on all the good little walter records like he's playing both of the both of the parts on my babe and uh, well he uh moved to cleveland i think in the 60s and he held down a, a you know regular residencies and things like that when he wasn't you know wasn't touring and then uh I got to open some shows for him later on, right about when oh, I want to tell you came out and that, that really, really had a profound, profound impact on me and that he was so kind to me. And, and, uh, you know, when, especially as having a reputation as being a little bit grouchy, cause 
<laughs> you know, looking back, I realized people think that about him because, you know, well, how would you feel if someone, you know, you have an entire career, an entire body of work, and all anyone asked you about is that time your best friend died when you were yeah. 16. Like, and the fact that I got to talk to him about that, uh, you know, even later in life was just like, man, that really... And he always can, you know, I would try to play Robert Johnson songs and things like that, things of his for him. And, uh, you know, just, well, you know, I got to hang out at his house a couple times. And, uh, but he was always like, oh, man, that's great. You know, he really appreciate it. But he, you know, one thing he always told me is like, you've got to tell your own story. That's, that's an old story. So that definitely moved me sort of away from being sort of a blues traditionalist into being a songwriter performer and still keeping those, those things. Uh, I realized that I may have over answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, man. As I'm not at all. To do. I'd rather okay. have uh, too much than not enough. So you were you were what twenty twenty five roughly when uh, I want to tell you came out. Yes, that's correct. So here's here's what separates us. When I was twenty five, I was writing a song about gravy set to the tune of "Lady" by Styx. So. You were leagues ahead of me at that point. How I many people? We're going to pause this interview until I hear a recording. <laughs> I will <laughs> send you. A, I will send you a link when that is over. I actually I just oh recorded it uh, like uh, during Thanksgiving this year, so it it took a little longer. It's a longer process as a songwriter for me. Hey, you know, Rome wasn't built today. How many people? How many people? You know, when you were twenty five, did you encounter that? Just they kind of you know like me lost their minds when they you know they watched you perform for the first time you know there's there's a this 25 year old kid ripping apart an acoustic guitar and your voice that voice coming out of a kid that's 25 years old were did you encounter a lot of people that were just you know wowed floored by that you know i mean i I get i mean it was you know people were always real nice to me and you know i was (laughs) able to work i mean like that but i mean like you know it was it's funny though where I where I grew up in Ohio, man. There's a lot of really good guitar player singers, and it's it's staggering. In fact, I was I was talking about this last night with a friend of mine. I was at a, uh, was was at this little show and and uh, this little art gallery, and then I was uh you know there was again like I realized something, and this is in East Nashville here, and. Uh, there were there were four guitar players from Ohio <laughs> standing around, you know, <laughs> and this thing. I'm like, and they were all really good. I'm like, man, I'm like, and my friend Terry, who's uh, was like, man, what is it with you guys? Like, he's a talent <laughs> buyer at a club. And he's like, you know, I don't automatically. I said, if they're from like Eastern, Northeastern, Central Ohio, I don't automatically give them, you know, the the response <laughs> that I actually make sure I listen. So, so I don't know. It's always been that thing. So, I mean, yeah, people were always, you know, nice and encouraging to me and, and, you know, but I mean, there was never any kind of, you know, collapsed in his God kind of, you know, weird hype or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure the novelty of it, of a young kid, you know, trying to play, you know, sound like he's, you know, 50, <laughs> uh, you know, was probably <laughs> very helpful, but, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, it was, it wasn't so much people being blown away, but man, people were very, very encouraging to me as a young man. And that's, you know, I think that might've been better, you know, so it didn't let, don't, doesn't let you get a big head too much. Yeah, absolutely. You know? It was people more, from, more of uh from Ohio, you know, they're, they're like, all right, <laughs> we know that <this laughs> so, you're going to. We'll see this. Probably we'll more see. of an appreciation than anything. It sounds like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I mean, you mentioned that you you kind of had to find your own voice, tell your own stories, and um, there's something about the way that you write and the arrangement that that would make it easy when I listen to turn any of these records into a series or a movie or something like that. So, I, to me, you know, the importance of of storytelling is is maybe kind of lost in the the mainstream shuffle of things. How important is it to you to tell not only you know your story but a good story when you write? Well, I mean it's it's the most important thing. It's the reason that you that we that you do this. And, you know me. I mean, like I I've always been a guy that I just you know I, I like to read. Uh, you know, and I I like to know. You know, I like simple 
effective story and, and all the good stuff that I like, you know, like Ray Charles, you know, even in the movie they made about, about Ray, uh, you know, the reason he went back to country music and had his biggest commercial success is like he said, cause you know, these tell the stories, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, you know, it's essentially comes down to a song that, you know, someone could strum a song and you're like, man, that's still killer. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's great. You can, you know, you could play a John Prine song any way you could play it on a Casio keyboard and <laughs> it would, you know, hello in there will still be a devastating song. Yeah. So that's, that's the thing. And, you know, it's always, and a lot through Robert, you know, like, like saying that, I mean, I, I'd, I'd re, by the time I got to really re- hang out and Robert would, would recognize me, uh, you know, and, and just not as just some sort of, you know, fan or whatever like that, where he mm-hmm. would be like, he would remember me from, um, he, uh, you know, I was right. I was writing songs, but I mean, primarily the show was not my personal songs. You know, when I'd go out and gig, but you know, really, I was I was reading all the blues books, and I was reading all that, and and I was really learning. I was learning a lot about Charlie Patton, and every you know, and I forget which book it was, but they said that was he was so distinctive about writing exactly what was right around him and all these people. And while they don't know much about him, there's not much written around, but like through the songs, they were able to sort of figure out where he was living, who he was referring to and things like that. I just fascinated me. Like, Oh wow. These, you know, I could play these songs and I've never met these people. I'd, I've never been to these places they're talking about. And so that's what Robert means. It's like, you've got to tell the story that's, a, that's around you. And you know, the, for you know a white dude in a, from a middle class family in Ohio, that's not compelling narrative. To start with, <laughs> you know, as far as you know, as far as I was concerned with, but you know, you have to, you have to find that thing. You know, I felt like my, you know, my feelings and my point of view were important, and I had, you know, an ability to to express that. So I mean, I always made, I, I sort of made a conscious decision to make sure that the stories, you know, were, were, were true, and and were about were about something, and uh, that it would be, you know, a true story. I've always found is better than one where the, you know, the the narrator looks cool in the end. So mm-hmm. it's all that's also a, a thing. It's like, man, just just tell it like it is, and you know, that's 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 usually going to be the best the best story so i don't know if i've danced around <laughs> that question enough but it, it, it really it's, <laughs> it's always been important to me to 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 get just that that idea and that feeling in the simplest way possible like the blues music that i absorb that i enjoy and i constantly listen to and it's you know i've it's more than just figuring out the licks that's always been, but it's finding mm-hmm. that, that emotive thing that pushes, you know, all the rest of it, you know, it just really drives all the rest of it. And to find that, you know, that phrase that, you know, the way that phrase is said, and uh, that's really just, just right from the start, you know, I, that's always been the most important thing. Yeah, and you do it well. You, yeah, you blend you blend all those well, things thanks. together very well, and, and get that. You know, you get to the point, you get the emotion across. And I mean, do you find that you speak about um, writing or, or telling about the things around you? But do you find that you write more from the perspective of that fly on the wall, or is it more from your personal standpoint? Or do you blend them? I mean, what's is there a ratio that you would say, or is it just kind of a as lot it of happens? It, I mean, Patrick Sweeney music, like I mean, I don't mean to talk to myself in the third person, but I mean like <laughs> as, as as an as an entity, just a, just for sake yeah. of, of, of explanation. And I, and I sure. hope that just doesn't sound <laughs> like egotistical or self involved. But no, no, no. So no. what we call Patrick Sweeney music, I feel, is like in the songs I write, and for that thing, uh, it's got to be from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Like I've never, you know, I've. I live in one of the greatest collaborative places in, in, in the world, but I still like, if it's my record, I shut down my life and I write that record, you know, by myself now. Uh, Cause I mean, I just think that's, you know, what the, it's important, you know, to maintain that sort of clarity and that, 
I mean, for lack of better term, uh, level of honesty, you know, to your audience, you know, they, mm-hmm. they like what they hear, you know, and they, you know, the people that, that, that support me and I'm, I'm, you know, lucky enough that they, you know, buy records and listen to music and come to shows. Like, I'm not sure I, you know, I don't want someone to cheat me out of the things that I'm connecting to. Sure. So I, 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 I stick with it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I talk a lot, so I got, I feel like I got plenty to say. (laughs) (laughs) One of the, uh, one of the things that, that for me comes to mind, we talked about, you know, painting that picture and, 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 uh, letting people kind of deduce where you are and, and, and what circles you're, you're contained within. One of the songs that really stands out to me and in putting me in that element that you're in is hotel women. Tell me about that song. That's to me is, you know, it's the ultimate, uh, idea of, you know, I play to a thousand people and I come home to none. Yeah. Well, man, that was, I was, uh, you know, was in my, I guess I probably was in my, my, probably just turned 30 maybe you know uh i I was i was divorced uh you know i uh, I mean i mean i was living in you know the upstairs of my parents house you know just all i was doing was gigging and working for this uh this company doing these music programs and in uh in inner city schools in cleveland and uh Man, I, and you know, and I'm doing local gigs and doing little road trips, you know, with the band and stuff like that. But I'm just working all the time, all the time. Mm-hmm. And man, and when I wasn't working, I was partying and running around, and you know, <laughs> hanging out with chicks after shows and and doing that thing. And you know, like you know, red red blooded young single man, you know, <laughs> does and and you know, actively did not pursue any sort of relationship or anything like that. It was very clear, you know, like, you know, I, you know, girls I'd see or whatever. And, uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, it was just sort of, you know, one night stands, one night stands, one night stand, one night stand. And man, it, you know, I'm supposed to be doing this to make myself feel better. And I don't, I don't, it doesn't, I just feel like, like shit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have any, you know, there's, there's nothing there. You know, and that, you know, people that, uh, you know, I never, you know, I never wanted to cheat on anybody. I never wanted to, you know, so this was sort of my anti-cheating song. Like, you mm-hmm. know, hey, this is, this is great, you know, but it's, you know, it's like my friend Steve Poulton says, this has gone past its sell-by date. Yeah. And it's, you know, that, that thing is just like, you know, you can you can pretend that you're not making connections with people, you know, but you are. (laughs) And, you know, that everybody has these needs and they want to, you know, it's not just, you know, sex isn't just a physical function, you know, it does have emotional ties and it does have these things. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, if you keep doing the thing that makes you unhappy, (laughs) Like you're going to remain unhappy. <laughs> so, and while it all seems fun at first, and you're like, man, all right, <laughs> rock and roll. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> Eventually the back, rock stops you know, rolling. Got to go, got to be in, you know, Parkersburg, West Virginia tonight. <laughs> we'll see you later. It's you been know, real. Like, I mean, it's a, it's a horrible, awkward, just, you know, sure you know situation just like god you know <laughs> and you know i, I, just, I don't know it's just a really really empty kind of feeling but you know and i don't know why i was you know obviously you know post breakup pretty shell-shocked about being there i wanted to focus on my work and and you know to a degree that was effective you know but it was it was not personally a very it was not a happy time yeah. and i was just you know just trying to have fun. And then it was just sort of like, you know, you can only yeah. ride the tilt a whirl so many times <laughs> before you, <laughs> you throw know, up. Yeah. Where the amusement park does not look as fun. You know, <laughs> you I, mentioned, know I, uh, I just realized saying that sounds just horribly crass of like, you know, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's you know, nothing that hasn't been heard before. I'm sure intercourse. 
the tilt a whirl. <laughs> the tilt a I'm sure it's out there on oh, Urban Dictionary somewhere. We probably uncovered oh, something my, we don't need to know any more about. <laughs> I, sh- I shudder to consider. <laughs> you mentioned a lot about work, the song uh, Working For You. That seems like it's kind of another, you know, sort of a, a page out of the playbook of, of life in, in the realm of a working musician. Tell me a little bit about that song. Oh, Working For You. Well, a lot of that comes from... Uh, a lot of that experience comes from, I was on tour with Tim Easton, uh, and we were doing an East Coast run, uh, I guess years back, and uh, playing in, in the great city of Philadelphia, which it seems every time I play Philadelphia, some event or some person happens that is like, or, or you know, like something happens that it is purely driven by one person being a complete asshole for no <laughs> reason. <laughs> I run into that a lot, just on a day-to-day I basis, mean, really. I don't know why, like, you know, so that particular one is we show up to this club called the North Star Bar. And, uh, may, oh, man, I can't wait to take a week where it used to be. I mean, just one of the most. So we get there. It's pouring rain. You know, this is right after uh, uh, what was the big storm that took out a bunch of the boardwalk in New Jersey? Oh, Um, gosh. Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was was a big one. You know, it was, (laughs) you know, it was uh, anyway, huge, huge winter storm like that. So like 10 days after that. And uh, we're on our way to the gig. And the guy, you know, the call us up that they don't, they're thinking about canceling the show. I'm like, you know, and Tim was like, well, could we find an owner of any? I'm like, whoa, no one's canceling dick. Like we got pre-sale <laughs> tickets. Like you're talking about closing the gig here. We're in Philadelphia. Like we're playing this show. Like what, what he says, well, we're concerned about the weather. I'm an old fisherman. I'm concerned about the weather. The guy uh, that owns the North Star Bar, just a complete, and I want to go on record. I don't remember his name, but the guy who owned the North Star Bar is a human sack of garbage. <laughs> Truly, gr- reputation for shorting and ripping off people and being difficult yeah. and being just a complete scumbag club owner. I'm so glad that place closed. So, <laughs> I don't like to talk bad about people, but I'll always talk bad about that dude. Hey, you so, got an open forum here, man. Go for it. Yeah, so... He, they said, okay, well, well, maybe we'll do it in, you know, we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll put it in our small room or whatever like that. And they didn't even have a PA. They didn't even want to open up their venue to turn on the PA. So we get there and we're thinking, Hey, we'll check this out. Go in the club. We know they're like, Oh man, you guys can't load in, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And we think this is the guy cleaning the place or something like that. And no, it's just a club owner. Hmm. So he sees, he can see us out his window and we're just sitting in a car while it's pouring rain. You know, there's nothing around this place. You know, we try to go get coffee. You can't park or just get, and like, and he's literally sitting in the same place. No people showed up when we were allowed to load in. It was just him. Hmm. Sort of like, man, that's weird. Like we couldn't even dump our gear and go check into the hotel. Like right. he just was that inflexible. So we say, okay, what's the deal? And I said, oh yeah, we're not going to, I thought we talked about this. We're not going to do this. We're going to put you in the room. So they put us in a room above the bar, just a look like a, a, an old living room and uh, with some <laughs> tables and chairs in it. There's no PA. There's no nothing. I'm like, man, this is, this ain't going to like the show that I do, you know, I'm not just strumming an acoustic guitar, you know, right. I've got this, yeah. you know, my rig is amplified you know, this, this box that I, you know, like the, the kickbox, this little like foot drum thing, I think like that mm-hmm. amplified, like, you know, I, this, I can't do the show that I do like this. Had I prepared for it, you know, and I'm, I'm more that, but it's like, well, and you're like, well, you know, they, he actually said, he said, well, you know, we could have canceled the show. We're trying to do you a favor. Cause they, you know, ask, why are you bitching about this? Mm. I'm like, you can't, you can't cancel a show. You would have to give away money you already took. Right. You have to give money back. Like, I know 
you guys aren't going to do that. And so what happens is the place fills up. <laughs> it's, it's the little rooms packed, you know, the guy, you know, the, the promoter, you know, he, you know, at, at the end, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, trying to right, keep, yeah. you know, one people who are expecting this show, but they're all sitting there and I'm, I'm sort of having to MC this thing. You know, there's a local opener, there's me and Tim and like having to like, you know, tell people, Hey, this is a little different. got to be quiet. You know, no, you can't talk instead of just playing a fun club show. You've got to yeah. go all through this thing just because this club owner decided that we didn't rate, you know, him honoring the agreement for a performance. Like, and so it was just ridiculous. I thought, man, like what the hell are we doing this for? Like, you know, I could have just said, okay, give me the money, <laughs> but right, those right. People, they had a great time. We had this great thing. So they, you know, so we get to our hotel, they won't let us reserve it because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> so there's one, one, one room left <laughs> that we get there. It costs like, you know, it's in some like road, shitty roadway in or something like that. <laughs> and they charge us like 160 bucks or something like that. Like it was just, you know, which, you know, it's not a good, but it was a $50 hotel. <laughs> We're just like, you know, well, we can't drive up to New York. We got it. You know, we got to do this. And, uh, it was just a, you know, so I'm sleeping on an air mattress on a, you know, gnarly ass <laughs> way in. <laughs> and now I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, I'm in my, you know, I'm a married man in my mid thirties. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm getting woken up by, you know, by, uh, you know, hotel maids and things like that, banging a, a vacuum cleaner into, you know, into the wall next to my head. Like, <laughs> so <laughs> I had some real, real struggles of like, this is, what am I doing wrong with my life? You know, right. and I guess I'd over explain the club thing, but I just have such, Oh, those no, guys that were, makes they were just as, they were just as, I mean, just like as shitty as can be. They didn't even turn off the jukebox downstairs. Oh, that's the worst. Below the word, but like, wouldn't let me close the doors to the room so people could hear. Mm-hmm. Like, there was not another event going on. <laughs> they just Good Lord. wanted to be assholes. So, working for you came to that, and, I, and, and it was it was really at a point where I was you know I was in between records too. You know, I felt like you know like I'd moved to Nashville trying to put out, you know, trying to keep this band on the road, doing these solo things. And like, I'm like, man, is this, is this, this, I don't know if this is working out. Right. Like, you know, I'd, it's really starting to like, we're getting into a, you know, you get these little periods of growth and periods of the, you know, of things. I'm like, man, there's no, there's no, is there any growth happening? Is there any forward <laughs> progress? Am I right. like, you know, does this thing run its course? And I thought, you know, and I thought, man, I, you know, do I, I'm going to maybe call, call the label and be like, man, you know, we gotta, I think I might have to go get a job. <laughs> and, uh, I've got a, at that point, a 15 year gap in my employment history <laughs> and thinking like, what can I do? You know, I'm like, right. Man, I should just, I should just do better at what I'm doing. You know, it's a little too late to turn back now. And, uh, mm-hmm. so that was that, you know, I never really got discouraged like that before yeah. in my career. And I, I was, that was a big, you know, it, it really, it really shook me up. And I thought, man, is this, you know, what is it, is it worth it? You know, am I, am I, am I moving towards any sort of end? Am I just sort of glorifying a hobby? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't think I was, you know, I was, I tied a hundred percent of my life, everything I did into, you know, into showtime. And, yeah. uh, so working for you was sort of like, man, suck it up, <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, get with it. <laughs> There's that, you know, they realize that yeah, I get to do my favorite thing as my job. And yeah. I guess I gotta be, 
better at it and continue to be better at it and to, you know, be smarter about the business end of it. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and that was, you know, and that definitely helped. I'm putting out that record, you know, was, uh, was, you know, was also pretty trying time, uh, in, in, you know, in my family's life, you know, we had, had, uh, uh, you know, my wife's, my family had a couple of, of back-to-back uh, deaths of, mm-hmm. uh, of, you know, some young people in her family. It was just, you know, it was a really very, very hard, very, very hard time. You know, there's a lot of songs on that Close to a Four record about that. And, uh, you know, the preceding, you know, the preceding couple of years in between those records between Southern Drag and La Flora, those were, you know, those were tough times, and, yeah. uh, you know, emotionally and, and, and trying to be a, a partner to somebody and, uh, who's twice as hardworking, twice as focused as, as you are, and is starting to gather a little bit of success and, uh, and, and, and very focused on that. And where I'm like, Ooh, I'm just sort of, you know, am I, am I the deadbeat husband? Like, is that what I am, you know, and trying to figure out, like, I don't want to be that. You right. know? So that record was really of really a, the sort of the, the bell that rings to be like, Hey, you know, step it up Pat. you know, you, you gotta, you know, you ain't special. <laughs> <laughs> you have no, I mean, apply to you too. You yeah. gotta do, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do better. I get that. And, and, you know, you talk about all this stuff and and how you're kind of down on your luck. I mean, I was, you know, in a similar position late last year where I was kind of like, you know, career wise, I'm like, am I spinning my wheels here? Like what's, you know, what's going on? And that's when I started to, uh, I have this habit of, you know, I'll I'll latch onto a song and I'll just play it on repeat for hours. And that's where every night, every day came in. It fit the mood for me for a good while last year. You know, it's this, it's this gritty kind of uh, down on your luck proclamation which is kind of a, a juxtaposition in saying that but but it's that proclamation that things you know things may not be that great now but they're going to get better and and the guitar sings as much as you do on that song which really you know reinforces and and drives that mood so is that uh, every night every day is that kind of the culmination of of that between those two records Oh, very much so. And, and, you know, and every night, every day was, it was, you know, in some form or another was, I'd always, I'd been kicking around that song for, for a long time. When I, from the time I first put a, uh, you know, an electric band together and just playing mm-hmm. blues and stuff like that. And I was sort of messing around with, with that. And, uh, you know, it just never sort of bloomed, but yeah, that, that hard, you know, that hard blues thing that I really wanted you know, one I wanted to reconnect with, you know, mm-hmm. which I feel like I danced around a little bit in the last few records and to show, you know, and to realize I'm comfortable here, you know, I'm not aping, you know, somebody else's story and I'm not just making a vehicle for, you know, guitar solos. And, uh, and, you know, I was always real moved by like, uh, like, like muddy waters, 40 days, 40 nights, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a different groove, but that, that unison guitar line, you know, a lot like yes. Fred McDowell yeah. does. I'm a huge fan of that and, and, uh, and to do that. And I just think it was, that one just been, it just really, really happened, you know, and I'm sort of singing at the top of my range, you know, pretty high up in G there. And, uh, that one, you know, is one, but it's, you know, the, you know, the lyric is, uh, you know, sunshine through the rain man you know it's it's yeah. things will get better if you can right. if you can hang on you know and that's that's an old old lyric old you know but you know you know that makes it true <laughs> or at least you know helps helps prove that it's true you know there's you know, there's not a lot of things that can't be improved with a little more effort you know just you got to figure out what that right effort is yeah Absolutely. Well, the uh, I mean, there's obviously not enough time for me to ask about all my favorite songs, but I did have a, a, mm-hmm. a listener question that uh, I wanted to ask you. And uh, sure. my buddy Bryce says, uh, if you're taking any questions from the peanut gallery, so I'm going to officially start calling him the peanut gallery. Uh, <laughs> I like it. Ask Patrick if he's <laughs> ever been told that a lot of his music 
uh, feels more nostalgic than when the album actually came out. He says, for example, every time my dad hears Bus Station, he goes back to the early 70s. And he says, when I hear daytime turn to nighttime, I think of my uh, my late grandparents drinking lemonade on their porch and in the sweltering heat. So, I mean, in essence, there's a, a vintage you know, connection emotionally to a lot of your music. Do you, do you feel that, uh, that's just kind of the way it comes out or is that a, a, an intentional path that you kind of take sometimes? Oh, it's definitely intentional. It's definitely mm-hmm. intentional. And that's, that's, that's astute. Like that's, uh, you know, like with, with bus station and close to floor, I mean, I feel like that's a really, you know, kind of dark, gritty, urban kind of sounding record, you know, for a lot of it. And, you know, it's, it's definitely got, you know, that's, we're definitely coming from that, that seventies kind of thing. Whereas, you know, mm-hmm. when we did Nate daytime and that's very much, you know, Joe McMahon that produced that record. I owe it more to him than, than myself. You know, I come in with the songs and we just sort of, you know, what, you know, what's coming out is what, you know, is what comes out. And then we, then I trust the producer to kind of unify it all mm-hmm. with the sound and, uh, that's him. like, and then, but, yeah, like uh, daytime, you know, that was very, very much. I'm like, man, I really wanted to reconnect with finger style guitar, the acoustic guitar. But, you know, we've got this momentum with this kind of rock band, bluesy rock band kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want people to, you know, there's plenty of bands that can rock. And there's, you know, there's plenty of dudes that can pick and sing, you know, the acoustic guitar and, 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 and write songs and, but man, I wanted to just wanted to show people like, uh, you know, I can do this too. And it doesn't have, I don't have to beat you over the head. You right. know, like, uh, like I really was listening to a lot of the, that, uh, Bobby Charles, that self-titled record from uh, 72. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, basically has the whole band except, uh, Robertson on it. And, you know, like, and, uh, you know, like you said, that summer, that sort of sultry summertime thing, it was, constant no record from uh, uh, Bobby Gentry which I feel is like possibly the greatest painting music painting of southern culture ever it's just you know it's like a William Eggleston photograph uh, (laughs) or like you know like a Faulkner novel or something Mm -hmm. you know or or like Cormac McCut like Sutri from Cormac McCarthy just those things, you know, just such a vivid, I wanted, you know, I wanted to connect with that, yeah. you know, cause I mean, it just, that those, those albums just moved me so much. And I talked to Joe and that's, that's really it. So yeah, it is, it is intentional. Definitely. Um, it's not always driven, by <laughs> <laughs> but influenced. I, if you're making records out there, kids find a producer, who's a producer, let him do his job. <laughs> You mentioned uh, you mentioned like being moved, and and this is kind of the last I'll, I'll talk about all my favorite songs and, and all that stuff. But uh, you know, nothing happened at all was the track that kind of got me uh, hooked on Patrick Sweeney. And every once in a great while, there's an artist or band that comes along for me, and they they make me do this thing where I kind of grit my teeth and I, I cock my head a little bit and I just start kind of bobbing along. And it's it's all this involuntary uh, ticks, not nervous ticks, but just it's it's this physical indication that I know that I'm on to something good. And it happened with that song. And uh, and here we are today. I want to ask you what what artists or bands do something similar for you, and and what's your tell? Like, do you have any quirks like? that you know when you're onto something good like or have you ever had that type of thing happen when you're when you're working on a song of your own where you're just you're kind of taken over by that and you're like yes this is it this is this is working oh absolutely man absolutely i mean like uh man like bobby bland and junior parker on on duke records or i never you know i'd heard the name bobby bland before and like you know, I thought, oh yeah, and then I see pictures of him. You know, him and BB in the seventies, and I thought, oh, you know, blues, you know, whatever. But then hearing like the absolute, just it's the pinnacle of artistry. It's the pinnacle. They say, I'm just like, my God, like, <laughs> you know, uh, and how he was able to transcend all these eras. Like, you know, when he started his career, his competition was Ray Charles and Sam Cooke. Like, and then <laughs> he outlived them all you know, still performing and, and, but was still in like invisible to white people, Mm -hmm. you know, but you know, had this huge following in the black community. And, uh, and then later in life, people began to appreciate him more, but like, you know, it's just, 
uh, one of his, his albums is from this. I forget which album it was from maybe the California album, but there's one called rocking in the same boat, which is just this, it's really smooth, but it's just funky. So funky. And, uh, and the way he just phrases over that, I'm just like, man, it's a completely different animal. And that thing mm-hmm. is just like, it was, it was absolutely immediate. Um, uh, man, you know, I think about the black angels, uh, that band, you know, psych band, uh, from Austin of above, like, I'm like, man, that is, you know, I heard them the first time. I'm like, that's, that's how you make spooky fuzzed out rock and roll, <laughs> you know? that's that's you know <clears throat> their full commitment to that sound and just like you know they're terrifying i love that band <laughs> um i'm at a lot i'm trying to think of i mean i mean everyone i know is in a cool band I'm trying to trying to say like you know i may have over caffeinated <laughs> you're gone, fine we've gone you're over fine. the line with the medicine you're uh, you're hitting the road here soon, and you're actually going to be hitting the road with uh, another one of my favorites, Greyhounds, at some point, which is a show oh. I, I, I adore to see. Uh, actually, Andrew Troub was actually one of the first uh, musical guests I had the privilege of speaking to on this show. But you're going to be uh, you're going to be out promoting a new record called Ancient Noise. It's due out May 11. Tell me about the new record. New record we recorded, uh, man, in Sam Phillips' recording in Memphis, Tennessee, and. Uh, which is the studio that Sam Phillips, the guy who recorded Elvis, you know, uh, you know, start, uh, Jerry Lee, Johnny Cash, Carl Perkins. <laughs> no Alan pressure Wolf. walking into that building. Right. And this is the building he, he built, you know, one of the, one of the most expensive purpose built buildings at the time with a million dollar loan. He got and the cash from the Elvis con. He's when he sold the contract to El- uh, Elvis's contract to RCA, he used whatever that was like 30, it was either 32 or $36,000. That cash was the collateral for a million dollar loan to build this studio in 1959 wow. opened in 60. I mean, they recorded Wooly Bully there. I mean, it's insane. The amount of people that have like, that have gone through that place and it's never yeah. been like a tourist thing. It's never been, and the room is, you know, it's everything in there has had, you know, Sam's hand on it, you know, where this light switch is, where this bulb is, uh, that was, you know, it's, it's all Sam Phillips. And I was mm-hmm. lucky enough that Matt Ross Bang, uh, agreed to produce and engineer the record. He was working in Phillips and we had befriended each other, uh, doing a PBS show at Sun that he entered a few years back, right when close to the floor came out and, uh, we kept talking like, yeah, man, we got to do this thing. You know, we're right. We got, we just became instant friends. We started talking about gear. I'd been to the sun records tour, but then I realized that he had, since I'd been there, he had really gotten correct period, correct. And, and, or if not the equipment, you know, working with, with Sam when he was alive and, and, and the Phillips family, Jerry and Knox, uh, uh-huh. and Jerry's, uh, daughter, Hallie. Um, and I was like, man, this is, this is, this is a little different. We're not just standing in a room according to a pro tools rig. We're, you know, going through these mics and these preamps and this is, this is hip, you know, and we're uh-huh. not doing a cartoon version of, you know, covers or anything like that. We're, you know, they're, they're t- we're doing our thing, doing our show. And, and it's like, man, we got to do a single or something like that. And, uh, it just never worked, you know, it was on road, never worked out, you know, record just came out. So he had started working out of Phillips and my friend, Margot Price had recorded her and her husband, Jeremy had, I knew they were working on something at sun and realized that Matt was on it. And then since I, you know, I, I know Margot and Jeremy, you know, since, you know, from hanging out at the five spot and we played shows together here and, you know, from the time we first moved here and, and, you know, I'm a little bit older than, than the crew I hang out with. And, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, as a married person in that social circle, like her and Jeremy were the only other married couple we knew in our, in our social circle. So we'd sort of <laughs> immediately gratify, you know, sort of gravitated towards them. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, and, and got to be friends, but like they were telling me about like, Hey man, Matt's doing this stuff. And, you know, then, boom, Midwest Farmer's Daughter blew up. 
And Matt's like, man, we got to do a record soon. I'm like, okay, done. <laughs> and it was, it was magical, man. It was really was worked with Ken, Ken, he, uh, he, he picked most of the team. I came in with my, my guy, Ted Pecchio on bass. Um, uh, but he had Ken Coomer on drums and uh, we had Charles Hodges from the high rhythm section. You know, I mean, the guy who played keyboards on all the good Al Green records, mm-hmm. like <laughs> that's the guy. And he's we're tracking <laughs> live on the floor with, with Charles. Like, it was, you know, it was the, it was, I mean, it was the best experience I've ever had in my life. Yeah. You know, it was truly like, but it's just a magical place to perform. It absolutely elevates every performance, you know, the, you know, the, the way it is. And I, I mean, I really feel like we've really like this album. I feel like is real is a big window into who I am mm-hmm. and being able to execute these songs on a little bit of a larger scale, but still keep that intimacy and that, you know, upfrontedness and humanness to it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm really excited for people to hear this record. I really, really think it's the best thing I've ever done. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it for sure. And if uh, if folks want to stay up to date with you, find out where you're going to be on the road. Where can uh, where all can they find you online? Well, all the all the social media outlets: Facebook, you know, Patrick Sweeney Music, uh, you know, Twitter, Patrick Sweeney, you know, at Patrick Sweeney, Twitter.com. Um, uh, Instagram official Patrick Sweeney. And then of course, you know, we still have a website, www.patricksweeney.com and Sweeney is spelled S W E A N Y. There's only one E in the, in the, the spelling that my illiterate ancestors (laughs) came up with. Oh man, this has been uh, this has been an absolute pleasure, Patrick Sweeney. Like I said, not enough time to to comb through every song that that I'd love to ask you about. But man, thank you so much oh, for man. your time today. Best of luck well, with man, the new I'd record. Love to follow up so you can answer those questions sometime. Yeah, absolutely. When the album comes out, I hope you'll come back. I love talking about me, <laughs> as you should. I think you've earned it, man. You just you, you really oh, man. you get it. You're firing on all cylinders, and uh, you, you know it definitely made thank a connection you. with me and and. Uh, a lot of my friends really enjoying the Patrick Sweeney oh, music man. as well. So you're doing something right, man, and you're doing it well. Well, tell them thanks from me, man, because it's you know it's just us out here, baby. We got it together. <laughs> <laughs> you bet, man. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, well, thank you so much. Uh, uh, appreciate it. You're listening to the Bo Cephas Broadcast. Every night, every day. Show the world how much you love surf and sand. Salt Life. Set in motion your affection for the ocean with a Salt Life bumper sticker. Salt Life. Never been to the ocean? Who gives a shit? Stick one of these bumper stickers on your rusted out hoopty and let the world know how much you love the sun in your face and the spray of Mother Nature's vapors on your farmer's tan. Salt Life. Let your fellow motorists know just how easygoing and Jack Johnson-esque you are by slapping this adhesive piece of garbage on the bubbled-up window tin of your back glass. Salt Life. Salt Life. Because maybe one day, you'll learn there are bodies of water outside the Mississippi River or your annual float trip destination. Salt Life. You're listening to the Bo Cephas Broadcast. Chitlins, I believe that is going to do it for episode 58. Going to put the wraps on it. Again, my big, big, huge, massive, huge. Thanks to Patrick Sweeney. Don't forget his new album, Ancient Noise, due out May 11th. Be sure to check that out. Follow him on his social media accounts as well. And don't forget to follow the Bocephus Broadcast on social media. Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Bocephus Broadcast. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BoBCraft. And of course, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, anything of that nature, be sure to shoot an email over to BoCephasBroadcast at gmail.com. The BoCephas Broadcast hotline, the official hotline, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for you to leave your message, your thoughts, whatever you want to talk about. 872-222-8610. 
Be sure to call in, and if you leave uh, one of the best voicemails of the week, you are officially entered into my official drawing for a Salt Life sticker. Also, if you're a fan of what you're hearing, be sure to take a moment, leave a review wherever you're listening, no matter what platform, whether it's iTunes, iHeart, YouTube, anywhere, Spreaker, uh, take a moment, leave a review, leave some feedback. That helps the show grow, and uh, it makes it a little more, little more visible to new listeners, all right? And then maybe one of these days I can quit my day job and do this full-time. I don't know. I don't, who knows what's going to happen? Stranger things have happened. Regardless, take a couple seconds, leave a review. It's certainly appreciated. Next week on the program, Ben Steinbauer. I've had this one in the vault for a while. Excited to finally release it. Uh, ben is a filmmaker, a documentarian. Uh, he, he does film. Film is his forte. And uh, you might have seen his documentary about Winnebago Man. And if you haven't seen Winnebago Man or the documentary about Winnebago Man by Ben Steinbauer, you are missing out on a cornerstone of pop culture. Excited to get that interview out, so stick around for that next week on episode 59. Otherwise, I believe that is it. Have a great week. We'll see you seven days from today for episode 59 of the Bocephus Broadcast. Catch you then. You've been listening to the Bocephus Broadcast. What you just heard was a podcast in the Poop Culture Extended Universe. For more great podcasts, make your way to www.poopculture.com.